Hello and welcome to Move Conversations. This is your host Venkat. In this episode, I talk to Sabhyasachi Mishra. He's a fellow IITian, fellow IFTian, and a veteran minerals and metals trader and a coal trader. He was a former head of business development at Tata International in Singapore, and now business head at JSW International Trade Corp, also in Singapore. He's 27 years of uh, overall experience. and uh, out of which uh, 17 years in um, commodity trading and has worked both in the private sector as leading private sector companies that i mentioned and also in public sector corporations like mmtc he's a regular speaker at most of the industry conferences my co-producer mrigank and i know sabi for many years sabi welcome to move conversation trade stuff thank you venkat thank you for this opportunity and i must uh, commend both you and mrigank uh, for this great initiative uh, i think it's a great sharing platform for the industry knowledge uh, and you have covered quite a lot of industries in the last uh, few months and i'm sure it's going to uh, spread the knowledge uh, to the right audience so thank you for having me here Thank you, thank you for those nice words, Sabi. When did you get started with coal trading? You know, did you start out as a coiler at the Lal, a coal trader, or as a buyer of coal uh, for an end user? When I left IIT to uh, start my career uh, post my MBA, I right. started out as a denim guru. You know, we joined okay. Urban Mills, and I was okay. the product head for denim. uh trying to make a career in fashion and uh and slowly slowly things moved on and uh moved to indonesia in the polymer industry oh. and uh, there uh, four years in indonesia and then i moved to singapore 2003 mm-hmm. and uh, in singapore uh, uh because of the uh vibrancy on the commodity trading sector i made a very uh, conscious uh, shift uh, to commodities Right. and uh, in the commodity basket if you look at uh, singapore's commodity basket uh, coal has its uh, prominence uh, because of the singapore's proximity to the producing uh, countries as well as consuming countries it's a very natural choice uh, so initially few years i uh, was working with uh, uh, smaller enterprises uh, more on an entrepreneurial streak you can say mm-hmm. and uh, supplying coal to that time uh, to india quite a bit from china uh, mm. interestingly china was exporting cooking coal those days and uh, so we used to do cooking coal from china then energy coal from indonesia and combine the vessels and move it to india right and then i moved to mmtc singapore as their uh, vice president trading which was uh, basically heading the trade portfolio and there uh, i did not just coal but various other commodities during that stint and as you mentioned correctly being a government company it exposed me to also the tender side of the business how it works mm-hmm. and uh, so it was a very good journey with mmtc trying to understand uh, the tender supplies and also to understand the government uh, thought process about policies uh, how it changes how it works uh, various commodities and uh, then came this opportunity to start the minerals trading business for uh, tata international uh, that was in 
Right. So I joined them in That's 2011. That's 10 years now. <laughs> yeah, it's a 10 years. It's been a great journey, actually. So uh, started from scratch on that business and uh, uh, we grew the business uh, year on year. And uh, as I leave the company uh, recently, uh, like we're doing now 10 million tons of uh, trade uh, with a uh, turnover in excess of a billion dollars. Uh, so it's been a great journey building it up. Uh, not just uh, India, but also in Vietnam, China. Uh, so we were actually awarded the Commodity House of the Year in 2018. Uh, so it was a great journey. And uh, wonderful, wonderful. And so now give I us a little on this new one. So yeah, uh, so all the best for the new journey, new career opportunities, new businesses. So give us a little background about this coal business. I mean, uh, you know. Oh, which are the major producing nations, which are the major exporters, importers in the world? What are the different grades and, uh, you know, um, end users? What are the supply and demand scenarios in this trade? Yeah, before I answer that, your point about Koele Ki Dalali, mein, <laughs> I just wanted to touch on that. So, Koele Ki Dalali, mein, Ahad kala. Ahad kala nahi hua hai. With that, I think coming to your question on uh, yeah, the, the uh, industry as a whole and uh, how it is. Uh, so coal, as you know, is a very uh, traditional fuel, right? So it's been sure. there for ages. And uh, so if you look at the major producers in the world, so China would be number one. Uh, it pr produces close to 3.5 billion tons of coal, uh, followed very far by India. It's like 0.7 billion. So it's almost one fifth of what China produces, but uh, India is the number two. And then it is US, uh, which would be around close to 600 million tons. And uh, Indonesia and Australia, both are similar, around 500 million tons each. Uh, those would be the <coughs> top producers uh, worldwide. South Africa, lower now? South Africa is lower. South Africa produces around 300 million tons uh, mm -hmm. of uh, coal. Russia produces also similar to South Africa, around 300 mm. million tons. Uh, Colombia, a small uh, country, but it produces around 80 million tons of uh, coal that way. Uh, so so th those would be your top producing countries. So to, altogether, you can say a coal consumption worldwide would be close to 3.5, uh, sorry, uh, 8.5 billion tons. Hmm. So 8.5 billion tons of total consumption. But if you look at the sea bond trade, which uh, we are involved in, right? So a lot of uh, domestic consumption, which happens, we are not involved in that. So out of the 8.5 billion ton totally consumed, uh, sea bond trade would be close to 1.2, 1.3 billion tons. That's where the play is, right? So that's where uh, the trading companies get involved. So in those, uh, that trade basket, uh, mm. again, if you look at the exporting countries, who are the exporting countries? China, as I mentioned, is the largest consumer, but doesn't export. Okay. Right. So, the, so, so your exporting countries are Australia and Indonesia. Uh, Indonesia, I think, is now number one overtaken Australia, uh, around four, almost. 80% of their production they export. So around 400 million tons they export annually. Australia also, I mean, almost 75% of their production they also export. So you can say between Indonesia, Australia, 
changes a little bit here and there, year on year, but it's around 400 million tons of exports between both of them, each of them rather. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, then after that, you would have uh, US uh, who would be doing around 150 million tons. Then you have uh, South Africa, which is doing around 80 million tons. Colombia exports everything that they produce. So they are also 80 million tons of exporter. Mm. Uh, so, so those would be your main exporters. You can say Indonesia, Australia, Colombia, US, Russia. So those those are the main exporters of coal. Uh, then you come to importers. So importers, uh, China is the largest importer. Uh, it imports 350 million tons of coal, which is 10% of their consumption, right? I told you they consume around 3.5 billion tons. So only 10% of what they consume, they import. The rest is right. all their domestic uh, production. Mm. Uh, then the number two currently is Japan. Uh, India used to be number two, but India has reduced a little bit on the import side. So Japan, you can say, is close to 200 million tons of coal. Uh, third would be India, which is around 180 million tons of uh, imports. Mm-hmm. Followed by Korea, Taiwan. Uh, so you can say it's an Asian story on imports. Uh, so Asia would be accounting for almost eighty uh, percent of the total imports uh, worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way, it's uh, it follows basically the GDP patterns as well, right? So is uh, the, right. the GDP growth kind of closely mirrors the energy production and in turn the coal consumption, right? So though it's kind of uh, matches each other. So that's how. Uh, I would say the uh, trade flows are now coming to the end use industry that you said that where it gets consumed, right? So the coal typically is two kinds. So Mm. broadly it's classified. One is the energy coal, which is uh, mainly used for energy production. Second is the coking coal, which goes for steel making. Steel makes. Yeah. So So thermal coal will be the energy, right? Correct. So in, so thermal coal is specifically the boiler kind of coal, but energy coal is a little broader name, which uh, mm-hmm. also includes cement and uh, DRI and other industries. So energy coal goes into three main industries. One is the power generation, which you call the thermal coal. And the second is the cement industry, where it is used again for uh, more as a chemical rather than as a uh, as a uh, energy pr- uh, component, but it's also used for uh, hitting the Mm. boilers inside the cement plants as well. But cement production, if you say it is used as a a chemical uh, to uh, reduce the calcium carbonate, right? Right. Right. Then then it goes a major consumption, which goes uh, is called the DRI. So Mm. say India, they call it the sponge industry. So sponge industry is a direct reduced iron, which is basically they, they reduce the iron ore to iron and uh, mm. then that is used for uh, making steel at the later stage. So DRI or a sponge industry consumes a lot of coal uh, in specific countries like India. So you can say these are the three main segments, um, power, cement and steel in a way. Steel. Mm. And then coking coal goes only for steel making. So it goes right. into making med coke. Uh, metallurgical coke, coke yeah. metallurgical coke then reacts with iron ore in the blast furnace and produces uh, your iron and then steel. So, mm. uh, so that coking coal segment is totally uh, flows into the steel industry. So you can say between the 
energy coal and the coking coal is 80-20 kind of split in the total traded volumes. So out right. of 1.2 million, 1.2 uh, billion, 1 billion would be energy coal and 200 million would be the coking coal sector. Coking. Okay. So uh, why have, you know, the coal prices like more than doubled, if I'm not wrong, since May 2021? Good question. Uh, actually, sir, everybody is talking about it, right? So it's a hot topic. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, just to look back a little bit, actually, prices of most of the commodities uh, have increased post-COVID, right? Post, it's not right. post yet, but I think post the peak time of COVID, uh, I think the commodity prices have just uh, gone berserk, right? So if you look at copper, look at aluminum, you look at oil, uh, every, everything has uh, almost doubled, if not more. And so coal has been a similar story, though I think the last six months has been a little overheating, I would say, uh, more than people were expecting. Uh, but that is primarily, you can say, because of the, I would say, three or four main reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, one which comes to mind is the supply constraint, which has kind of uh, uh, affected the industry in the last uh, six months. Uh, supply constraint has come primarily from weather conditions in Indonesia and Australia. Uh, both of them have suffered from high rainfalls and uh, uh, because, of the, because of that, the hauling and the mining has been impacted, uh, reducing the availability on that side. Uh, Colombia has taken some production cuts uh, in terms of shutting down of a mine. Uh, I, I would even South Africa, if you look at, they had a very severe pandemic. They had a very severe pandemic in the last six months. In fact, they, if you if you have seen some of the news clippings uh, in between, there was a, a time when they had massive unrest, uh, civilian unrest as well, which uh, they looted. People were on the streets looting stuff like that, which uh, kind of uh, the railroads etc. was shut for some time, so that impacted the uh, the availability of South African coal. So there has been a supply disruption story in the last uh, six months. Second part of the <clears throat> Uh, second reason I would say has been the demand uh, uh, expansion, uh, which mm. has been there for China particularly. Uh, they have been doing very well economically and uh, in turn the power requirement, <clears throat> also the coal going into the smelting, etc. The requirement has really gone up tremendously over the last six months. Uh, so that is one reason. Even Europe and US have also done quite well economically over the last six months. So that also has uh, put pressure on the prices uh, in terms of demand uh, expansion. And the third thing which has also helped prices is the alternate uh, to coal, right? So uh, in a fuel basket, if you look at the major alternative to coal is gas. Right. And, and, and the those gas prices, prices have gone up. Yeah, gas prices have doubled. So if you look at the Henry Hub uh, index, uh, the gas prices have gone from 2. 7 to almost 5.9 which is more than doubled actually so uh, so the alternate to coal is also been expensive so that has helped the coal to uh, increase price as well right so it's kind of uh, if you look at a free flowing market if the alternate product is rising in price you also benefit from that so all in all i think it's a supply contraction demand expansion alternate fuel prices going up so all that has uh, resulted in a major rally on coal and we are we are now sitting on historic highs on all kind of coals uh, so right 
So what about uh, freight increases? How much have they contributed to the, like, for example, C&F prices to Indian ports and, uh, you know, uh, for the yeah, Indian absolutely. importer? Yeah, it has added to the, um, the overall cost, right? One has been the FOB price rises. On top of that, the freights have also rallied uh, massively. Uh, so overall impact on CFR has been quite high. It's a double whammy, actually. So, um, so that has made... Uh, power produ production very difficult, uh, uh, particularly on uh, fixed power contracts. Uh, right. The power plants which had a PPA, uh, right. those power plants have either taken a shutdown or taken a reduction. Uh, They're sitting on very low stocks. Uh, so currently I think uh, it's, a, it's a calamity which is uh, about to hit the industry. Uh, we are seeing repercussions already in parts. And I think uh, this, this price increases uh, are not helping and those uh, power purchase agreements uh, have to be really looked at because uh, if if uh, government insists on those uh, power purchase agreements obviously uh, it's not going to commercially help the power plants to run so that's that's where we stand as of now so so uh, help me understand this so international prices itself have you know more than doubled right and freight rates have gone through the roof. So if you look at the CFR India prices um, from May or from January, uh, do you have some numbers somewhere or am I suddenly putting you in a spot? Depends on, the depends numbers? on how much, how much has that increase been? It depends on the origin. So just to give you a sense of Indonesian yeah. coal, which goes uh, for Indo Indian power plants. Right. Uh, there is a very popular coal called 4,200 uh, GAR cross-calorific value coal, Correct. which is very popular coal in India for most of the power plants. So, so if you look at those, uh, that coal, it used to be FOB-wise uh, around $50 six mm. months back. And mm. with a freight of, you can say, $10. So $60 CFR. So currently that coal FOB is $100. And right. uh, fre freight would be $25 into India. So you're right. talking about from $60 to $125. <laughs> Right. So uh, more those than are, those are absolutely yeah. uh, new numbers, new territory uh, where Indonesian right. goals have not gone before. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, are, uh, and uh, so obviously the end users are grappling with it. Uh, uh, to one is they were also banking a lot on uh, coal India rise in production. Right, coal India has been talking up mm. uh, that okay. India doesn't have to import anymore. We will be self-sufficient. We'll be producing enough for everybody to be taken care of. So, and they have not really lived up to that that uh, comment, right? So uh, it's not enough local production rise. And uh, on top of that, import prices have gone for a six. Altogether, the plants are in a fix. They don't have the domestic coal, which they're, they're banking on, that it will come through. And now they have this $125 CFR prices to deal with, which doesn't make sense for their power plant uh, agreements, right? Power purchase agreements to work. So right. Large companies have taken shutdowns. Uh, so very precarious situation actually in India. Right. So you briefly touched upon the, you know, China-Australia relations and, uh, you know, the strains there and having major replications on uh, coal trade flows, right? So can you elaborate on this? Shouldn't that have you know, increased the supply in the marketplace, and uh, but still we have had uh, more than doubling. 
No, that's a very interesting question uh, because uh, it used to help uh, definitely the availability. Uh, mm. As you know, this uh, this almost almost a year, more than a year, this has happened. There is no official declaration by China that they want to be buying Australian coal, but mm. there is a uh, implicit uh, uh, clarity among the importers in China that if you get the Australian coal vessel coming in, it will stand for long periods of time for custom clearances. <laughs> so that in a way you can say non-tariff right. barrier that we talk about, right? So that <laughs> yes. effort has been has been put uh, put in place. And right. uh, interestingly, it's only for coal, whereas they keep buying a lot of iron ore from Australia. Uh, so, uh, so this was initially, this was helping India because uh, mm. a lot of excess Australian coal, uh, which was mainly going to China, got diverted into India. Uh, so India benefited uh, during that time. Uh, but currently with these high prices uh, going, like those coals are, uh, more than 120 FOB now, right? So, so it's not helping India either right now. So right now all prices are high. So uh, those excess coals, uh, which are not ideal for Indian power plants, but they are using it when the prices are low and as a substitute. But currently the prices being so high that substitution is also not possible. Uh, okay. But yeah, but you are right that currently if you look at the uh, entire coal price basket, Australian coal probably is the best price at this point in time uh, because okay. of the because of this uh, China situation. Uh, right, it's definitely. Uh, but China is also paying a high price for this uh, for this posture. So there, China is paying a much higher price for non-Australian origin coals uh, because they have taken this stance. Particularly if you look at a poking coal, which is uh, which is an oligopoly. It's practically controlled by very few producers. So mm. they're uh, Barring Australia, if you look at, there are very few options. Canada uh, has a large producer. Russia has few producers. US has few producers, but that's it. So, and those producers are currently laughing their way to the bank because uh, they are able to sell to China at $100, $150 premium as compared to what they would get for India. And China is willing to pay those premiums because there is no choice. So China is paying a huge cost for this uh, stance, which they have taken. But yeah, it's in the overall scheme of things, probably it works out, right? So, so there's another, you know, um, recent news that came out, right? In in September, Bloomberg reported that you know Indian pay companies picked up two million tons of discharged, you know, Australian thermal coal from yeah. uh, Chinese ports, right? At about twelve to fifteen dollars a ton discount. So, well, you know, which is in line with like what you were talking about previously and then you know so they don't want that uh, australian origin products and so so you know so they may probably let go because of the uh, non tariff you know unstated barriers but then yeah. uh, from a from a indian buyers perspective for them will there not be deteriorations in quality if it was lying in the port for a while you know what can you tell us about all these you know such purchases in general from price perspective quality perspective and so on it's opportunistic but is it really good you know stuff? More, you know more more about coal than you said initially. So obviously you know no. about the quality <laughs> of coal deteriorating uh, while it getting stored. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I was also a trader, right? <laughs> so so you are uh, you are right about particularly the cooking coal. Uh, cooking coal deteriorates uh, quite fast. It's uh, very 
uh, it's got certain properties. The caking properties of a coking coal kind of deteriorates very fast uh, when it's uh, stored openly uh, right. as compared to energy coal. Uh, okay. Energy coal also deteriorates, but it takes a mm. little longer as compared to the coking coal. Uh, so, yeah, there is uh, there has been some uh, cases where the discharge port qualities has been hugely different uh, when it is arrived at India as compared to what what was there in China, what was reported to be there in China. Mm. Uh, there has been deviations, uh, but people are have so much benefit, right? So they have a twelve to fifteen dollar discount. So they probably built in some amount of deviation for quality in those prices when they're taking those decisions. So 12 to 15 is you're talking about the energy coal side. If you look at coking coal, the discounts have been almost 50 to $60 uh, mm. at which it has come to India. So, so they are, they're okay. Even if there's a little deviation, a little drop in the quality, they can still live with it given the price benefits uh, that they're getting. And, right. but uh, also some of those trades may come under pressure currently because uh, China is also talking about uh, maybe allowing some of those coals in given that they're heading towards a blackout and uh, they have very little coal uh, on some of the power plants. So they may close their eyes a little bit and allow some of the coal to come in, saying that, okay, <laughs> we don't know, you just move it in kind of thing, right? So, <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah. that You didn't say, we well. didn't so, hear, we you know, those kinds yeah, of things. Exactly. <laughs> so some of those deals may come under uh, default or force majeure if that happens, because... Uh, if China decides to take those in, uh, some of those committed deals may come under pressure or may not happen for India as well. Right, right. So with the, uh, you know, you mentioned the rising price of commodities in general, right? Uh, uh, and coal in particular. So we also hear about blackouts in China and you also referred to the problems in India along those lines of power shortage. How do you think this will pan out in the coming days? It's a very uh, hard question to answer. I think uh, it is, it, it's definitely sitting on an inflection point at this point in time, right? So it's sitting where uh, either the government doesn't do anything in that case, the blackouts will continue. Uh, the power plants will uh, not be able to operate and we'll have situation where the industries will have uh, not have enough power to run. The other option is government has to intervene. As I was touching on that PPAs, the power purchase agreements has to be re-looked at. Uh, those prices needs to be revised or the formula has to be changed to take into account the high prices prevailing currently uh, to make it viable for the power plants to operate. Mm. Uh, so I think the government intervention would be very important at this stage, I think, uh, which I, particularly in Indian uh, case, I don't see government uh, taking any steps yet. Uh, whereas in case of China, uh, post their uh, Communist Party convention, which happened, the 100th year convention, which happened in July, uh, government has been very vocal on that front. So they have been talking about uh, increasing the domestic coal uh, rapidly uh, to take care of these high rising prices and make more domestic coal available uh, for the industry. Uh, but it's uh, easier said than done, uh, because mainly because uh, the the investments in some of these coal mines have been uh, lacking for some time, and uh, to ramp it up uh, without any safety incidents and to make sure that it it uh, it delivers the required output will take some time. 
Second is it's heading towards the winter. Uh, so uh, the most of the mines are in the northern China, where it's a harsh winter, uh, and it's not be easy to ramp it up uh, during this time of winter. So given all that, I think China would be taking some steps definitely to to cool it down, uh, which may happen post Chinese New Year. That's what currently people think. Uh, oh, but that's quite some time. Yeah, we? because because the winter is that long, right? So. So there's little they can do during this time. Uh, all they can do is allow the power purchase agreements to be relooked at in terms of prices, and so that uh, the producers keep buying even if uh, prices are high, right? So that's what uh, I think the other solution at this point in time. I think Indian government so must be thinking in those lines as well, though they have not come up with any official statements yet in this regard. But uh, I think they must be also thinking in this lines. Right. Yeah. After the Chinese party, the hundred-year conference, you mentioned that like uh, they were, you know, willing to relook at like you know increasing coal consumption. So, so that triggers a question in my mind. UN Secretary General uh, Antonio Guterres, uh, he called for an end to deadly addiction to coal. Right. And we have been reading about uh, electricity from renewables becoming more competitive and. Definitely, you know, we, we hear that news not only from other countries, but China and India, there have been a lot of investments that have gone in and uh, they have been talking about how those are uh, really competitive sources of energy. So why is there so much demand for thermal coal then? See, I think uh, you need to uh, look at the percentage uh, contribution of each, right? So if you look at uh, the data from 1971 to 2021, in a 40-year, uh, sorry, 50-year pan of time, thermal coal was that time 40% of your energy mix. It is still 35% of your energy mix. So it's not really, it has changed drastically, uh, mainly because the other ones uh, have reduced. Some of like nuclear used to be a major part, which has reduced. Hydro has reduced over time. So those areas have been covered by the renewables, which you mentioned, the solar has come in, the wind has come in. Uh, solar and wind has done very well in the last uh, five, six years, uh, and they account for almost 10% of the energy mix now, which is a very good thing going forward. Uh, but the dependency on coal is still 35%, and uh, which is quite large. And as I mentioned, the other alternative, which is gas, has also been equally expensive uh, this year. Uh, given that uh, there is not much else the power plants can do because uh, the renewables have not reached that stage where they can completely substitute coal with that. Uh, hydro is not enough. Nuclear is not enough. Uh, gas is not a viable commercial alternative at this point in time. So that that's not really helping uh, the coal story. So coal will be phased out over a period of time. I don't see it really uh, going away so soon. And it's... Uh, uh, been proved by this rising prices on coal, which uh, shows that how much dependent we are still on coal, right? So that. Right. Uh, so in in you know um, last couple of years uh, or a couple of years back, especially during the uh, Trump era, we often heard this word clean coal, right? But you know carbon secretary, carbon uh, you know capture and sequestration. Is, is a known technology which has been there and yeah. there have been significant developments for 
quite some time. So really is clean coal really possible or was that all greenwashing in 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 you know talk in that country so what are the climate related and other challenges that will impact this industry there are a few good things happening on the coal side right so one is uh, what they call the hele which is a uh, high efficiency low emission technology which is okay. basically the boilers uh, which uh, convert the coal into steam they have been improving over time so if you look at Japan, uh, most of the boilers are ultra supercritical boilers. So that means that they, they can produce that much of steam consuming much less coal. Uh, so that the efficiency is going up. So the power production, which used to uh, consume a certain amount of coal is requiring much less coal now using this technology on the boiler side things. And those boilers are also very low on the emission because one is they use less coal. Thus, they have a way to capture the CO2 and bring it back into the circulation and doesn't emit almost, I mean, Japan claims that the, the emission from the power plants is even lower than emission from the cars or the streets. So wow. uh, it's, the, it's, it's that good. And that's why Japan is pursuing on coal-fired power plants until now. And we know very well Japan is uh, very finicky about the environment and how fussy they are as a country. So there's a lot of good things happening in the HELE space. Whereas on the <clears throat> carbon capture, it's an expensive process, right? So carbon can be captured uh, pre-firing uh, into the boiler. It can be captured post-firing into the boiler. But different those stages, right? And different it stages. It can, yeah, it can be fully captured. You know, it can be put in the ground. It may not be released to the atmosphere. Those come at a cost, definitely. It is it is there, but those come at very high costs. Um, if you say that, okay, we pay so much subsidy to the other industries like renewables, why can't we put that subsidy into the carbon capture of coal? I think that's a valid question to ask. And uh, unfortunately, there is not much fund going into that area because of uh, coal is uh, attracting much less uh, investments or funding at this stage. But if, uh, if I think more innovation is put into it, I think uh, it's, it's not a greenwash. I, would, I think it's a potential there to look at it. Uh, because as I mentioned, uh, whether we like it or not, 35% uh, dependence on coal is uh, there. And slowly, slowly it can, my estimated at least 15 years before we can really bring it down to any single digit levels on so, uh, coal. Okay, so in 15 years or so we could, bring it down to single digit levels yeah that's an interesting uh you know uh thought um reasonably optimistic given the circumstances but then yeah, yeah. we're also concerned about the uh climate changes and the temperature increases and so on and so forth uh, also also the storage technology right for renewables yeah. the challenge is the storage right where you store yeah. the electricity it's a periodicity uh of the nature of the electricity that they produce wind will produce during certain periods Right. Solar will produce only in the day. So we need to have a good uh, storage, which is being worked on. Uh, right. Hopefully it will come soon. And uh, until that happens, it cannot really scale up beyond, beyond certain percentages. Yeah. That's a you know wonderful uh, you know uh, insight and thought where, where we could bring this uh, discussion to an end. Thank you, Sabi. Uh, you know, a lot you. of insights about uh, coal and the coal trade and the current situation, why the prices are so high and, uh, and also your outlook on, you know, what would be 
the you know realistically what are the challenges for the next six months and so on uh, given the nature of uh, the market and climate conditions there in, in in china and so on as well as your outlook on you know how long it will probably take for the um, you know our renewables and alternative sources of energy to be a substitute for uh, for for coal and uh, we take it that like there should be a certain efforts to make uh, coal a uh, you know, less polluting at least in the intermediate yeah. time period. Um, but but definitely, I think we need to uh, substitute it. But then, as you said, there are multiple other issues to be also taken care of in terms of storage yeah. and hope that the battery technology improves to, to, yeah. to, to do that. And so hydrogen is a hydrogen is another interesting area, which, uh, which is holding yeah. promise. If that comes yeah. through, that could be a, a much faster escalation. But uh, they're also the yeah, they've been talking about, about green yeah. hydrogen, so, blue hydrogen, yeah. <laughs> and so on. So, so yeah, I'll probably you know find an expert like you and and get to talk about that uh, pretty soon, and uh, that will be interesting too. That's on my list, on my do list. Thank you. <laughs> Hope Thanks. I could answer all your points, and uh, thank you for having me here, Venkat. Our pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in yet another episode of Move Conversations. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the Move Conversations YouTube channel and press the bell icon to get notifications of new episodes. Thank you very much. Till I see you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Have a great day.